Hi, Stacy Power Walsh here. This podcast was recorded just four weeks ago with Dr. Deirdre Kelleher, a good friend and former colleague of mine. I'm sad to say that Deirdre died just over three weeks after this recording was made. The All-Ireland Institute of Hospice and Palliative Care, along with the Early Career Researchers Forum, would like to offer our sincere condolences to Deirdre's husband, Des, and her two daughters, Georgina and Genevieve. We know Deirdre felt very strongly about sharing her story and insight into palliative care. And so we share this podcast with you to honour her memory and her legacy as an extraordinary children's nurse, academic and colleague. We are the Early Career Research Forum with the All-Ireland Institute of Hospice and Palliative Care. The focus of the ECRF is to provide members with opportunities to access peer and mentor support, develop links with senior researchers, participate in capacity building workshops and share knowledge across disciplines. And I am Stacey Power Walsh, Networking Officer for the Early Career Research Forum and your host. We are delighted to be launching our ECRF podcast during Palliative Care Week 2020. If any of our listeners would like to become a member of the ECRF, subscribe free at www.professionalpalliativehub.com forward slash research forward slash ECRF. We are in keeping with this year's Palliative Care Week team in this together, recognising that palliative care requires a broad range of professionals, family cares and communities to support the person with the life-limiting diagnosis and those close to them. We have some really great podcasts lined up this week from an interview with a person living with palliative care needs, a lecture in palliative care nursing, and an ECRF member and healthcare professional, and their experience of palliative care and COVID-19. We welcome your thoughts and questions. Please tweet our direct questions to at AIIHPC underscore ECRF. Today's podcast will present a lady living with metastatic breast cancer. We are honoured now to be joined by Dr. Deirdre Kelleher, Assistant Professor at the School of Nursing, Midwifery and Health Systems in UCD. Welcome to the podcast, Deirdre. Thank you very much, Stacey. Deirdre, can you tell us a little bit about your diagnosis? Stacey, I was originally diagnosed. I was picked up at a breast check in 2014 and I had a right ductal invasive carcinoma a very, very small tumour on my right breast. And uh, to say the next couple of years was a roller coaster is, uh, is an understatement, I suppose. But um, from that, then I had uh, three lumpectomies and uh, radiotherapy and chemotherapy. And then I was off on tablets for years, went back to work and thought that was the end of it. And then in 2017, I was picked up again on the mammogram and from that they found lobular in my left breast and also that I had lung mets, in other words, tumours in my, my lungs. So yeah. from then on, it's uh, got a bit less of a roller coaster and more of a uh, merry-go-roundabout, I suppose you could say. But um, I'm still here to tell the day, so it's now 2020. So here I am. 
So that's been a really long journey since 2014 and a roller coaster for sure, Deirdre. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But as I say, you just have to take each day as it comes and get on with things. Can you describe what it's like for you living with your cancer diagnosis and receiving treatment? Um, well, I suppose sometimes it's a little bit of compartmentalization in that you, you don't think about it. I try and have times each day where I think about it and then for the rest of the day, I don't. And it's only when I'm sick or when something comes up that I feel I have to address it. But a lot of the time, I just kind of, um, I do have faith and uh, I do have very good family support. And I feel as well with the diagnosis like this, that you have to, you have to support other people as well as yourself and they support you back. And that's not to say I don't have my wobbly days, but for the most time, I try and keep it in, in perspective. Unless I get more bad news, which can happen now and again. So just taking it day by day, really? Day by day, yeah, it's about the only thing you can do. I try not to think too long in the future, but I'm not being silly about it either. You do have to make plans and it does kind of make you have a sharp focus on things, especially when you have family and you realise you're going to miss out on certain aspects of, of their lives, like weddings and, you know, exams and things like that yeah like that's very emotionally challenging Deirdre even to listen to to be honest Um, and for our listeners that aren't aware that Deirdre's doing this interview from her hospital bed at the minute as you're currently unwell and refuse to delay or you know withdraw from this interview but um, this is particularly relevant now how has COVID-19 affected your overall experience of care and even now, is your indicate setting at the minute? Well, I suppose the COVID is like a double whammy. Mm. In terms of, we had to be mind ourselves before any of the COVID kicked off. So it is like a double whammy in a way. And the feelings that people sometimes get, they wake up in the morning and they have to think, I can't meet my friends. These are the things that sometimes make it hard for you to uh, to deal with because sometimes I wake up in the morning and I think the whole cancer diagnosis yeah. and the whole COVID that both of them are dreams and yeah. then after a few minutes actually they're not a dream this is the reality yeah. so yes it has been difficult so would I be right in saying it's almost further isolated you as you said while a cancer diagnosis does isolate you some bit in that you do have to be mindful of your own health. It's further isolated you yeah. more so. And also, because of the people are making the effort to isolate you, you have to give them the respect and do what you're supposed to do. And tell me, um, what palliative care supports have you received to date and what has been your experience of this? I've had very good palliative care support. Um, what they have done is they have... Um, they kicked in with me in December um, because I had got very sick at that time. And I suppose it was one of my tips. I wasn't sure what direction I was going to go. So really, palliative care is more about symptom management than about death and dying. Particularly, yeah. in the, obviously, in the early stages. And I think particularly 
for an older generation, I'm talking about people in their 70s and 80s, they actually don't understand that. Though in fairness, some of my own siblings started to cry when I mentioned the word palliative until I reprimanded them and said, cop yourself on, I'll tell you exactly what it means. So anyway, um, so in terms of that, so things like putting me on some Ormorph to help my breathing was one thing that they did. But there's the psychosocial element of it too. So while I was in hospital, I would, would see the palliative care consultant as part of an overall. And then when I, I was at home, the hospice would link in with me once a week for um, the um, just to chat. Because obviously there was a 12-week program that started with a different group of people. But I was not, wasn't able to go to that after about five weeks because of the COVID restrictions. Okay. So they were in once a week. And then they liaise with the GP, the, your, your medical oncologist and the palliative care consultant. So they all work together. So that's how it works. So I've been very fortunate. Now the other thing as well that worked very well, the minute I got into palliative, I got my disability, disability card, which a lot of people don't realise they're entitled to. And it certainly makes a big difference when you want to park. I don't mean to be using it unwisely. And obviously you have to be in the car and you keep the card with you. But it really does save you walking a long distance. And it usually means you get a car park. But there seems to be a reluctance for people to tell you that. But anyway, um, that was one thing. And then I got the um, the medical card as well. Okay. But these things should be for everybody. Yeah. I think there should be some kind of an algorithm. Once you get a diagnosis, there should be a certain number of things that you get as automatic. You shouldn't yes. have to be begging for them. You should get them as a as your entitlement. Deirdre, has the palliative care support you receive helped your family? And if yes, how? I'll tell you, they have in that they, 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 my family, my husband and my daughters are aware that they're there. Now, at the moment, they haven't had to um, get involved. Our girls are managing at the moment. Now, there will come a point when they will need to be seen and checked and whatever. We've been very honest with them from day one about everything that's going on. And um, actually, when Kima was working and when Kima was not working, we tell them in the same type of vein because we don't want to get them too worked up. It's working. And then doom and gloom at the other end. So we're kind of fairly fairly neutral on that. That's the first thing. The other thing is I kind of I'm letting them decide when they need it. But they are keen and they have spoken to my husband on the phone. Maybe one of the weeks when I'm not the best, they will talk to him on the phone. Or my children will answer the phone and they say, this is palliative care. And they say, hello. And that's it. But they haven't had any formal stuff at the moment. But they probably will in the next six months. And they have offered it. And obviously we say yes. When, it's, when it suits us, when yeah. we feel it's needed. But at the moment, just where we are at this precise moment in time, we don't seem to 
needed at the moment. That's not to say that somebody else could come along and say, Deirdre, I think it's time we need to have a more in-depth. And if and when somebody from the team says that, well then, obviously, I will do what I'm told. Yeah. We will do what I'm told, and that'll be it. Yeah. So, um, as I say, as I say, one of the things with palliative, I feel, is that his terminology needs to be explained. Now, for example, and it's not that I'm telling any lies, but I've never mentioned the word palliative to my parents during the 80s. Okay. Because they will think the worst, and they will think it bad before it is bad. So yeah. I'm trying to, I'm going to pick the right time. I've mentioned Ormoff, and they haven't really picked up on that as to what that actually is. Okay. So they might do, but I just kind of feel that people could be whispering in their ears on different things. So yeah. I'd rather any information come from Des and myself rather than from anybody else. Absolutely. And I suppose, Deirdre, that goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of the interview, that need to support others and, I suppose, mind others. Anybody you talk to, you will find that you have to mind people. Yeah. It's not like Wonder Woman or Superman. You go into or Doctor Who. You go into a telephone box, whiz around and come out. You'd love to be able to do that. It would be great. But unfortunately, yeah. you can't. You have to involve other people and that. But you don't have to make it really difficult either. Yeah. Just do what you can. So really, like we're launching this at Palliative Care Week and it just shows that mm. we really need to get through that the difference palliative care make to patients, cares and families. And as you said, it's not just about end of life. It's about symptom management. It's about quality oh, yeah, of life. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think actually, because I know from speaking to some people that it probably should be started an awful lot earlier. Yeah. You know, you know, cancer now is considered a chronic illness. So really palliative should be started at the beginning of a chronic illness in that they, they just work side by side, tip in, tip out, yeah. and uh, are kept in the loop. And then with, when, the tough, when the tough gets going, instead of going shopping, they get involved and yeah. they do the palliative bit. So it's not a big surprise. When they're introduced. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's, I think it could be done a lot earlier. Okay. And Deirdre, as a nurse academic, so you are a children's nurse and your area is in really children's palliative and bereavement care, and you've been involved in carrying out research within this area. So what advice would you give to an early career researcher? Oh, yes. Well, I think, starting with the real practicals, I think you should write every day for one hour. Yeah. Even if it's complete rubbish. You yeah. get or get yourself organized. You know, set up a room, get yourself organized. Don't get sidetracked. So remain in the present. I would also suggest that you you network with students, but not every student, not the messers. Pick three students that are <laughs> on the same wavelength as yourself and get with them and have regular meetups and whatever. Yeah. Um then don't spread yourself too thin. It's easy to join lots of wonderful organizations about lots of different things, but be strategic. So not everything. So, for example, as I say, I have two lots of cancers. So I'd have an interest in lobular 
but there's not an awful lot known about it. Okay. That's an area that needs more exploration. Yeah. Um, the ductal is a, a little bit more common gardener. Not that anybody's common gardener, let me haste, but you know what I mean? It's, yeah. There's a lot more known about it. So the um, importance to identify those research gaps. Identify, yes. Yeah. And uh, you need to have, also to remember, it's your PhD, it's nobody else's, and it's your enthusiasm and tenacity that will carry you through. So mm. prioritise it. As I say, don't get sidetracked. Yeah. Work closely with your supervisor, but remember, you're not first on the list for lots yeah. of different reasons. You're just not. You could be yeah. tenth on the list. Um, there's a couple of people I think are what following now. One is uh, the dense breast lobular, which is a good org. They okay. do a lot on. And there's a woman called Siobhan Freeney. Now, she's not an, ac an academic, but she's very pro. She's a patient advocate. She's okay. excellent. The other person I would find, follow is a, a Dr. David Robert Grimes, G-R-I-M-E-S. He is now working in DCU and he's a cancer, he's an oncologist researcher and he's absolutely brilliant, very pro-evidence-based. Okay. I think he's bullish. The fact my guys are embarrassed that I go on about him so much. <laughs> I think I have a little grow for him. But I said, no, guys, I'm on and for you, you're all evidence based. Yes, evidence based, including him. Very and the good. Other, the final person, I would just say, he's Australian, but I met him before. Hugh Carnes. He writes a lot yes. about PhD stuff. He's interesting and uh, very internationally bound as well. So there are three that's in the area of breast cancer. Darwin, Robert is oncology per se. Uh, Siobhan is dense breast, but Hugh is for PhD stuff. And then everything, anything else that will, will uh, carry it. So that, that would be the main thing that I would see. So, yeah. so um, it's good to have that. But a little often, Swiss cheese approaches, my husband would say. If you yeah, do I like that. Often, no, get it on the paper approach. Get it down the paper. Yeah. And, you know, plan your different strategies. I'm going to read two articles tonight and write up notes on them. I'll start my interviews or whatever you need to do. Yeah. So that's what you and you mentioned there about the patient advocate. Is there any advice that you'd give others living with palliative care needs with regards engaging research through public and patient I think advice? yes. I think it, at long last patient involvement has become very in in yeah. the last few years. And I think it was only it's only about time. I think it kind of keeps it very grounded in what needs to be researched. That's the first thing I would say. Um, I think, you, again, you can't be involved in everything at all times. So I think it's important to pick organizations that you feel you can be the most help of. Now, I used to go to research conferences and different things earlier, but I have stopped in the last year because I'm just not, I'm not a reliable person and I don't like unreliability in others. So I would, it would annoy me. Oh yeah, yeah, I'd be there and then not turn up. Yeah. So I don't, I try and support my other on Facebook, passing it on, or on Twitter, passing it on, or retweeting or whatever. That's my contribution. Yeah. But I do have to say, 
that all of the oncologists really work in the country, work very hard, all of them. They all liaise with each other. They, and they do stuff that we don't know about. They're, they may have done a full day's stretch in here and then the Bjorken Hotel, hotel for nine o'clock giving some lecture about some kind of aspect to, to people. I must say we're, we're very lucky. As a patient then receiving care, Deirdre, what advice would you give to the healthcare professionals providing palliative care? Um, I think the health healthcare professionals, they just need to be aware of your, your different moods. Um, okay. And I think if they have any if they have any doubts at all that they contact the palliative care team. But I do think in our education, in our nurse education today, that they do get an awful lot more psychosocial input now. And people have an awful lot more insight into how people might be feeling. And um, I know that in terms of nurse education, and I'm only speaking for nurse education because I come from that background. I'm not saying other groups of healthcare profession don't get it or anything. But as I say, I'm just focusing on what I know. But there is an awful lot more psychosocial care in the care of patients at all, at all um, lifespans is important yeah. and is given to pay to, to um, nurse and educators give a lot more to, to them in this case rather than just the physical hard yeah. demand which you do need as well but I think it's important that they are aware and be aware of the different moods and how people are yeah. feeling. They get that through good communication skills and also to, um, to I suppose holistic care and holistic assessments. Yeah. Holistic care and holistic assessment. And just, I think as well, tipping in and now again, reading about things like death and dying. There's a, an Elizabeth Mannix as well, who's written a very good book as well. Um, I just can't think off the top of my head. But her name is Elizabeth Mannix. And she wrote a book about death and dying and it's very good because it's from a lay person's perspective she okay. writes for the lay person and i think everybody should have, have a copy of that just to dip in and dip out of yeah she's also on twitter as well okay. i'm on twitter mad more <laughs> people who are as i say evidence-based and worth pursuing but yes i think it's important and um, that they get involved yeah and and to add that book to the recommended reading list. Absolutely. Yeah. Welcome, Mayor Deirdre. I would like to sincerely thank you for joining us today and sharing your experience of living with a terminal illness. Um, thank you very This much. insight, while I must say is really difficult to hear, it is so invaluable to us all, whether we were providing palliative care or addressing research needs in palliative care. Um, the reason why we do what we do is for people like you. Um, it's to hopefully make a difference to your lives, the lives of your families, and this can only be achieved through performing the platform to hear yours and these voices. So I really applaud your bravery for sharing your story. And I'd like to wish you that your days are full of life and quality for you, your husband and your two girls. Thank you very much, Stacey. Thank so you. Much. Listeners, we welcome your thoughts and questions. Please tweet or direct questions to at AIIHPC underscore ECRF. Uh, from all of us at the ECRF, 
Thank you for listening. Um, if any of you early career researchers have your own research or an event you would like to share, I can be reached on Twitter at Powerstace or by email powerstace at hotmail.com. Thank you and goodbye for now.